Ladies, gentlemen, this is the Real Estate for All podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Middlebrooks, licensed loan officer in Georgia and Florida. And this is a subject I've been wanting to speak about for quite some time now, because it's a subject that many people have a lot of questions on. And quite frankly, it's something that prevents a lot of people from being able to purchase a home in the first place. So Jesus says in Luke 14, 28, is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it? So in this episode, we're going to be talking about budgeting. Budgeting is something that a lot of people don't do uh, or they don't do it as well as they should do it. And there's a lot of costs that are associated with purchasing a home. So budgeting is key in being able to purchase a home and maintain that home. So we're going to get started with the biggest rocks up front, which are the upfront costs. When you purchase a home, the upfront costs can be one of the biggest prohibitors for a lot of people in being able to purchase a home. There are a lot of programs that have come out with down payment assistance to try and help with that burden of the upfront cost of purchasing a home, especially as the cost of housing in general has gone up, so has those up so have those upfront costs also increased. And so when you first get under contract to try and purchase a home, you've got an inspection that I highly recommend you do. In many cases it's not required. However, I highly recommend it so that you know the actual condition of that home that you are looking to purchase. That inspection comes at a cost. And depending upon the size and type of the home, um, whether it has a crawl space or a full basement and the square footage and everything, will depend upon will determine how much that inspection would cost. But you could spend $350, you could spend $650 on an inspection. It really all depends on the home that's being inspected and the inspector that's inspecting because inspectors do charge different prices. Um, but you've got that inspection, you've got it to pay for an appraisal. And those are both costs that come before the home even closes. But when it's time for the home to close, Usually you've got a down payment that you have to make. And if it's under an FHA loan, that's three and a half percent down payment. Well, if you're purchasing a $300,000 home, three and a half percent is $10,500. You've got to have that money to be able to put down for the down payment. You also need closing costs and prepaids, which are, you know, your taxes and your insurance. And so with your prepaids and your closing costs, and your down payment, you could easily need to save $20,000, $30,000 just to cover the closing cost of that home. So the upfront cost is something that a lot of people struggle with when it comes to purchasing a home just because a lot of people don't have twenty dollars or $30,000 uh, sitting around. It is my advice to start now if it is your goal to purchase a home and seeing how we can get that money saved up. So a lot of people want to rely on down payment assistance. I'll speak a little bit about down payment assistance. There are down payment assistance programs out there that are meant to help individuals to be able to purchase homes and get in homes uh, without having to have all of that money up front to cover the upfront cost. Down payment assistance programs can differ greatly. And so it's important to know what the costs are associated with the down payment assistance program that you might be considering using. For example, there are some down payment assistance programs that I've seen where 
the fees associated with the down payment assistance program almost make it not even worth using the down payment assistance program in the first place. You would be better off just saving up your own money and going to purchase a home. There are some that are a little bit better than others where you actually do get a benefit, but it's important to know that there are also, there are also a lot of down payment assistance programs where the money that you get is not completely forgivable. For example, in Georgia, we have the Georgia Dream program, which pays down payment assistance to help home buyers who are eligible to get to be able to afford the down payment and closing costs. Well, that money that you get for down payment assistance from the Georgia Dream program is not completely forgivable. It goes onto your home as a second mortgage. There's no interest on that second mortgage. There's no monthly payment on that second mortgage. So you're not having to pay it back until you sell the home, refinance the home, or if you move out of the home and it's no longer your primary residence. If any one of those three things happen, that's when you would have to pay that money back. But it is helpful for homeowners who might not have all of the funds to be able to cover the down payment and closing costs to be able to cover some of those things. So the upfront cost is something that I highly recommend budgeting for. You will find better interest rate pricing and overall it will you will not have to worry about the standards of being eligible and qualifying for down payment assistance because you have the money saved up for your own down payment so find things in your life that you can start cutting out that would enable you to be able to save up for that down payment for example let's say you have a habit of going to eat out at restaurants multiple times a week or even once a week see if you can cut that in half and use that money that you would have spent going out to eat, save that towards your down payment. Let's say you've got four or five different streaming services that you subscribe to. See if you can cut that in half and go the next six months or a year only using one or two streaming services, put that money towards your down payment. Find ways that you can start saving and putting money away and you're going to have to be intentional about it because if you're not intentional about it, it's not going to happen. So you have to intentionally make it one of the first things you do when you get paid after you pay tithes or whatever you do with your money first, go put the next whatever you determine that you want to put towards your down payment or start putting away to save towards your down payment maybe it's a hundred dollars out of every check two hundred dollars out of every check start building that money up now it's going to pay dividends for you in the long run all right so that's uh, enough of the upfront costs moving on to the yearly maintenance cost that's something else that i've had a conversation with a lot of people about when it comes to purchasing a home they're like, oh, but you know, I'd rather just rent because if something breaks, I don't have to pay for it. The landlord has to pay for it. And I always think in the back of my mind and usually also verbalize what I'm thinking, which is, no, you're actually the one that's paying for it. The landlord is just the person that's making the phone call to get the plumber over there to fix it. But when you pay rent, rent in many cases is higher than a mortgage. And there are reasons for that. The landlords need to be able to cover the mortgage, plus have some saved aside, set aside to be able to cover maintenance costs. When something breaks, they need to be able to fix it. 
And in some cases, they want to have a little bit more on the side so that they can pocket a little bit of money and make some profit off of this real estate investment that they have as well. So in many cases, it is more expensive to rent monthly than it is to pay a mortgage monthly. However, um, a lot of people don't understand that and they're thinking, oh, I, I, I don't have to worry about these maintenance costs. You're still paying it. You're just paying rent to the landlord and the landlord's taking your rent money to pay their mortgage and to fix whatever breaks around the house. So one thing that you can do to try and mitigate these maintenance costs, there are major systems in the house, such as your HVAC and your furnace and your water heater and your roof. You know that these things are not going to last forever. So what you need to do when you are a homeowner is start budgeting for the repairs and the replacement of these items. So if you have a roof, for example, and let's say that roof has a 30 year life on it. But when you buy the home, there's only about 10 years left of lifespan on that roof. What you need to do is find out how much a new roof is going to cost. And let's say that a new roof will cost you $10,000. So divide 10,000 by the number of years you have remaining left on that roof. So divide that 10,000 by the 10 years you have remaining left on that roof. That means you need to be saving about $1,000 a year to be able to pay for a new roof in cash and have the money without having to finance it. And if you want to break it down even further to see what your monthly cost would be, divide that thousand by 12 and you would have about eighty three, eighty four dollars that you would need to pay every month or save a set aside to save every month so that you could afford a brand new roof in 10 years. That is how you want to approach your budgeting. That is how you want to approach these major things that, you know, are going to break at some point. Now, the minor things that might break and you don't know when it might happen, let's say you have a pipe that breaks in in the bathroom or, you know, under the sink or something, you need to call a plumber to go fix it. That's what you want to have an emergency fund for. You want to have at least six months of expenses. Uh, some people will tell you three months. I say have at least six months of living expenses that you have saved up and set aside so that when those Things that are unforeseen that you can't really plan on happen, i.e. that pipe bursting and breaking, or if there is an electrical issue that ends up happening that you need to get fixed, um, there, there's always something unforeseen that can come up. You have the money in that emergency fund to be able to pay for it, fix it, and keep it moving on without that being something that completely just blows up your whole home ownership plan. So again, for those yearly maintenance costs that come up, first set a budget for all of the major things that you know are at some point are going to stop working or some point going to reach the end of their usable lifespan. And you want to start budgeting for those now before they get to the end of their usable lifespan. So find out how much a new one's gonna cost and divide that by how many years you have left on the usable life of that thing that you're using whether it be an HVAC system or whatever, divide it up by however many years you have left and find out how much you need to save per year and per month 
Start saving that money now so that you can afford a brand new one and it's not gonna break the bank. It's not even gonna touch your emergency fund because you've already saved up the money for it. So that's what the yearly maintenance costs. Moving on, there are the monthly costs of your principal interest taxes and insurance and homeowners association dues if you live in an area that has a homeowners association fee that you have to pay monthly. Uh, many condos also have these fees as well as townhomes. So with your principal interest taxes and insurance, those are that, that's what forms your mortgage. That's your mortgage payment. And yes, that's the cost. But I won't spend too much time on this because you also pay rent and paying your mortgage is like paying your rent. The thing that I will say is that and I'll get into a little bit more of this uh, a little bit later is that. The difference between your mortgage and your rent, when your rent lease is up, a lot of times your rent will increase. However, your mortgage is the same. If you have a 30 year mortgage, your mortgage is the same for 30 years. So that mortgage payment, that principal and interest payment for your mortgage stays the same for those 30 years. So you don't have to worry about those going up or down or whatever. Now, what can increase is your taxes and your insurance. However, that's something that's not dictated by the lender or the mortgage company because the money out of your mortgage payment that goes to pay your taxes and insurance, uh, that just goes to the government or the insurance company that you selected for your homeowner's insurance. So that's something that can change but the principal and interest portion of your mortgage payment stays the same for 30 years. And so I'll use that as a segue to bring into my last point, which is the cost of not purchasing a home. Because a lot of times we calculate what the costs are of purchasing a home. But what about when it comes to not purchasing a home? Because there's a cost associated when you choose not to do something as well. So first up, um, as I've already touched on a little bit is the stability that having a home affords you 30 years that you have where your principal and interest payments are going to stay the same or they could go down because when your interest rates go down like we saw in 2020 and 2021 homeowners refinance their homes to get a two percent or a three percent interest rate you, they may have previously had a five or six percent interest rate and they refinanced their homes to get a two or three percent interest rate and what that did is it dropped their monthly payments in some cases by 300 or 400 dollars a month less that they had to pay on their monthly mortgage payments so there was there's a lot of stability that's offered from owning a home whereas on the flip side in 2020 and 2021 you saw a lot of rental rates increasing uh, particularly in 2022 as well. And some of that was uh, due to the fact that there was a uh, moratorium in place that prevented landlords from being able to, you know, evict their tenants if for non-payment of rent. Um, and a lot of it was part of an effort uh, by the government to try and, you know, keep evictions at a minimum, especially when we're at a worldwide pandemic and everything so whether or not you agreed or disagreed with it it is what it is and that's part of you know some landlords wanting to recoup what may have been some of the losses that it, they experienced because you did have a lot of landlords that 
we're not receiving mortgage payments or we're not receiving rent payments and therein by putting the onus on them to still make their mortgage payments and that ball just keeps rolling downhill because if they're not making mortgage payments then now you had also you know a foreclosure moratorium in place which prevented the lenders from being able to foreclose on the homeowners and at some point this all has to catch back up and so what you saw uh later on in 2021 and 2022 particularly were rents that were being increased for the renters whereas if you owned a home your mortgage was likely less because you refinanced that thing in 2020 or 2021. So that stability is something that is huge, especially when you get into uncertain times like a recession uh, or inflation where money can really get tight. Having that stability where you know, okay, my monthly mortgage payment, my principal and interest is not going to change. That's gonna stay the same. Vice, oh, I'm getting up to the end of my lease renewal and uh, my landlord might try to add another $200 onto this this rental payment every month because your landlords do have costs as well so when there's inflation and the taxes increase or whatever it may be those are costs that your landlord has to pay and so they are going to naturally pass those costs along to you as the renter who is living in their property so having that stability if you are a homeowner now you own the property you have the stability of having the same mortgage payment uh, with principal and interest every single month so another cost that a lot of people don't consider is wealth and according to a recent study done by the federal reserve and this is an article that i read that came out actually in september of last year so less than a year ago the median net worth of U.S. homeowners is 40 times higher than the median net worth of renters. That's 44-0. That is high when it comes to net worth of homeowners versus the net worth of renters. So the median net worth of U.S. homeowners is 40 times higher than the median net worth of renters. It is costing you to not own a home in terms of net worth because there are a couple different ways that you build that net worth through home ownership. Every time you make a rental payment as a renter, that money goes to the landlord. You never see it again. You don't get any you don't have any ownership in the property. So it's not it. What it is serving as is making sure that a roof stays over your head. And that is it but you have no ownership in that roof as a homeowner the couple ways that you can build wealth one is that when you make your mortgage payment a portion of that mortgage payment goes to paying down the principal balance of the loan so if you have a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage on your home every time you make a mortgage payment it gets a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller which means that you have more and more equity built up in that home which is part of your net worth also home prices tend to increase over the years you might see a two or three percent increase from year to year on average for your home in some years it might be a five percent increase but over the long term home prices do go up and so because of that that is increased equity 
that you have that you didn't have to do anything for. For example, you buy a house for, let's say, $200,000. You keep that house for a decade. A decade later, that home might be worth $260,000 or $275,000. Well, that's $75,000 that you didn't have to do anything to get. That was just because now your home, through you just maintaining and upkeeping your home, has become more valuable over time. In addition, over that same 10-year period, you've been making on-time mortgage payments. So you don't owe $200,000 on that home anymore. You might owe $160,000 on that home uh, or $150,000. The amount that you owe is much less than what you started out as. So what you gained in the 60 or 75,000 plus the amount that you gained in paying your mortgage down another 30,000 or $40,000. Now you might have over a hundred thousand dollars worth of equity sitting in your home. And most of that equity, you didn't do anything to get. It's just because your home is more valuable now than what it was when you purchased it. And this is how wealth gets built for many homeowners and why 40 times higher is the amount of net worth that homeowners have over renters. So while you're calculating the cost of owning a home with the upfront cost, which can be high, you could easily spend $20,000, $30,000 upfront to purchase a home. Also make sure you calculate the cost of not owning a home because that could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars that you would have had in net worth if you had owned a home. And you might think, oh, but that net worth isn't gonna be realized unless I sell the house. And that's true, because as long as you're living in the house, net worth is kind of what it is. I mean, you could utilize that money if you ever get into a situation where maybe you wanna get into an investment property and you do a cash out refinance of your home, take the cash, and you can use that cash to go and buy another property. Um, but also one other way that it can help you is if you were to want to purchase a bigger home up, let's say you purchase that first home and it's just you, or it's just you and your wife, um, or you and your husband, um, and you decide that, wow, we're going to have kids. Our family starts growing. Now we outgrown this house that we own. We need to go and get a bigger house. Well, you have equity now that you've gained in this house through appreciation. Your home has become more valuable. You can utilize that equity selling your home at a higher price and the money that you receive back from that, you can use that to help pay for the down payment and closing costs for your next home. And, and possibly, depending upon how much equity you have left over, you can also use that money to help fill out the house with some of the stuff that you might need uh, to purchase for this new home with this growing family of yours. So let's say you sell that house that you've been living in for a few years, but now you've outgrown it and you get 50 or $60,000 from the sale. That's 50 or 60,000 that you can use as a down payment and closing cost and also to cover some of the expenses of moving from one house to another. So these are different ways and different costs that you also need to calculate when you're budgeting. Don't just calculate the cost of, oh, how much is it gonna cost for me to purchase this home? Also calculate the cost of what is it gonna cost me to not purchase this home? So 
Thank you for taking the time to listen. That's all that I have for you. Uh, as always, I invite you to follow me on social media. I am at GA Loan Officer on Instagram and TikTok, which is where I am most active on those two platforms. But you can also find me on LinkedIn at Frederick Middlebrooks. And my website is galoanofficer.com. There's a lot of information that you can find on there in terms of uh, information about the different loan products, as well as a mortgage calculator. So you can calculate what your monthly payments would be for different purchase prices at different interest amounts. You can just change the parameters in there however you see fit uh, to just get an idea of to help you start budgeting for what the cost would be for your monthly mortgage payments and interest rates and stuff like that. So please do uh, follow me, visit the website and everything. Uh, wish you a blessed day and a blessed week. And I will see you in the next episode.